0: Coming up next on the Webfly Swing Podcast.
1: I'm not one to like paint a false pretty picture, right? Like this is the first ever team and the first ever world championship. And it was really, really, really difficult. In fact, you know, we went over a few weeks early to practice. And there was a point where, you know, one of my really close friends and fellow guide Lindsay and fellow teammate, Lindsay Zoffren in Red Lodge, Montana, where we were like, we're never going to do this again. This is just, there's no way.
0: That was Tess Weigand describing her experience at the first ever Team USA World Championship. Euro-nymphing tips, micro-leaders, and brown trout today on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing fly fishing show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We are right in the middle of a big launch, a big giveaway going on. The Steelhead School is full on right now. If uh, you want to enter this at a chance to head over to with Jeff Liskey and myself, we're heading out. Uh, I'm actually heading over to uh, Jeff's neck of the woods. If you want to enter this giveaway right now, wetflyswing.com giveaway, and you can do that right now. If you want to enter, uh, if you actually want to just purchase this trip, we've got six slots available on top of the giveaway if you want to join this this trip um you can send me an email dave at wetflyswing.com and uh, and just put uh, steelhead school in the subject line and uh, and we can chat from there and still enter the giveaway uh because if you win the giveaway we're going to give you that and we would refund your money if you already purchased one of those slots range meal bars has one of the best tasting and power pack bars on the market i'm a huge uh, bar fan i've eaten everything from uh Cliff Bars, Power Bars, uh, Pro Bar, you name it, right? All the bars out there. And I can tell you, the Range Meal Bar is good tasting and packs a serious punch. Actually, there's more in this, uh, more calories to keep you going than any of the other bars. So if you want something in a pinch, if you missed a meal, if you're getting out there fishing and you can't quite hit breakfast, you need something to keep you going through the day, this is what you need to check out. WetflySwing.com slash range right now, R-A-N-G-E. Fairflies creates ethically sourced premium fly tying materials with their 5D brushes. You simply tie better flies faster. 5D brushes contain perfectly proportioned materials to tie amazing streamers, bass, and saltwater flies. Fairflies also creates intentional supply chains so you can change the world with every fly you tie. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash fairflies right now. That's F-A-I-R-F-L-I-E. Fairflies. Tess Weigand is here to break down her best urinymphing nymphing tips and what she does as a guide to get her clients into fish. We discover what her year looks like fishing Central PA, which hatches you should be thinking about if you're heading out into that area of the country, and how this all got started with a connection to the USA youth team. This is a real fun one with Tess here, so I'm excited to share this one with you today. Without further ado, here we go. Tess Weigand from thefeatheredhook.com. How's it going, Tess?
1: Hey, um, it's going pretty well. About to get into our fall season, so it's a perfect timing to start talking about all things wild trout.
0: Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we're gonna dig into. Um, you're in uh, central Pennsylvania. We've had a number of episodes focused on you know people in around Pennsylvania. Um, I'll put some links out there. George Daniel uh, dug into a little bit, and we had. Um, some mono nymphing and stuff like that. So it's a, you know, obviously uh, that's a hot place for fly fishing. Um, and I know you have some uh, past, like, you know, I think you got started maybe part of it was the fly fishing uh, at the university. Um, but we're going to dig into all that. You're also on team USA. Uh, you got a bunch of stuff going on. So let's take it back before we get into your guiding and what you have going now, talk about how you first got into fly fishing.
1: Oh, that's a great question. So I feel like I have the very non-traditional
0: entry into the sport uh,
1: that differs from a lot of people, especially in the Pennsylvania area. I didn't grow up fishing um, at all, really. I did, in fact, take the fly fishing courses at Penn State when I was a student there, simply because it seemed way more interesting than like the walking club, <laughs> um, which was the only other option. Wow. Yeah, so that's I've always been, you know, outdoorsy and everything, and that's kind of how I fell in love with it. But didn't really start fishing until after I graduated and loved central Pennsylvania so much that I decided not to leave, something I was never expecting to do, and just wanted something to do other than hike with my dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who always needed to be near water because he would just constantly overheat. So um, it was just a graduation into that. Um, and then I apparently can't ever just have casual hobbies. So that's it. <laughs> Just never stopped.
0: You've gone all in. Now, now yeah. you've got uh, from that, you've gone into, yeah, like we said, Team USA. You've got uh, the fly shop you're involved with, the lodge, um, a bunch of things there. What was the, so you're in college and you were at, you actually went to, this was at Penn State where you had your, got your degree there?
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: What were you on track to do when you were in college there?
1: Uh, agronomy, um, agricultural science.
0: Oh, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, something completely not related unless we're talking from the conservation perspective.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. So you're in that. And then at what point do you know that, um, I mean, is fly fishing, you know, at what point did you know that was going to be your new, your track?
1: <laughs> I didn't even know that guiding was a job until Jonas, the owner of the Feathered Hook, asked me if it was something that I <laughs> would have any interest in doing. I, you know, had an illustrious promising career in agriculture and then just kind of threw it all away to work for this you know fun little fly shop um much to my parents uh chagrin i would right (laughs) Uh, which totally different now because we're partners at the lodge and now i have them in it too uh for better or worse (laughs) that's cool but yeah no i I worked for a non-profit um in kind of the organic agriculture world and decided that i really enjoyed being self-employed and that's when um, Jonas approached me. I was friends, um, with what, who is our head guide, Matt Kowalchuk. And, um, yeah, kind of just drug me in and had no idea it was something that I wanted to do. And then just took a couple years and really learned what it meant to be a good guide. And wow. yeah, yeah, here we are. <laughs> Never looked back.
0: No kidding. What, so what was that? So now you're, you're guiding what's, uh, you know, what have you learned from the, the guiding you, you, you know, you talk about what you know learning about being a guide. Was that just, you kind of like with Matt kind of next to him or, or what, what are some lessons? If somebody's listening here and they're, they're thinking about being a guide, what would be your tips for them?
1: Yeah, that, uh. I mean, we obviously don't have a, a guide school, which I know exists out there now. And I'm sad to say I really don't know anything about them. Um, so perhaps take this with a grain of salt. But I um, wanted to make sure that I knew every nook and cranny of the waters that I was going to be guiding. You know, I wanted to make sure, you know, and that took years, right? Years of fishing everywhere all the time in every type of situation, um, making sure that that I could provide our clients with, you know, the best possible experience based on what they were looking to get out of a day. And so that's not just, you know, obviously about the fishing, we talked about yeah. that, right. The, uh, a lot in the, the guiding world. Um, it's about, you know, your rapport and having a good time and really being able to focus on what somebody is looking to accomplish or learn or just relax and have some fun. And so I, I think a big part of being a good guide is how you interact with your clients And so a lot of it has nothing to do with the fishing, right? Like you have to be, at least in central Pennsylvania, you have to be quite good and technical um, and be able to, you know, explain this really complex stuff um, to people who may only do it a few times a year um, to make it, you know, so they can absorb it and learn something from it, but also make it not serious and a lot of fun. Um, And so I think like focusing on, on that type of thing, um, and making sure that you can communicate that all quite well uh, in a way that is, you know, supportive and fun is probably the best advice that I have. That's awesome. Yeah, make sure you have backup plans and backup plans and backup plans.
0: <laughs> that's good advice. That's good advice. So, so basic, yeah. Then that's great. So you're out there and you've got all this going. And we're going to dig probably into a little bit of the the lodge and some of the other cool stuff you have going. Um, but let's take it, let's take it into the, the fish, you know, brown trout is one of the species that you focus on there. If we were going to be, you know, if we were thinking about putting a trip together there, you know, I like to kind of go down this route sometimes. Um, you know, what does that look like? If, if somebody called you up and said, Hey, I want to go fishing, you know, central PA and, and focus on browns, is there a, a better best time of the year? when would you recommend?
1: Oh yeah. Well, obviously spring. Spring is... You know the bread and butter, right? That one of my favorite—well, actually, I guess you could say my favorite part of the rivers that we have here is just the diversity of our insects, right? I I've not really experienced anywhere else in the world quite like it, and it's just the fishing that that gives us from essentially even the times of mid-March, weather depending, um, through uh, the middle of June is just there's something different every day, Um, and so the the fact that every day is going to be different you're going to have this like smorgasbord of insects that every fish is going to want something different (laughs) every hour of the day is what keeps it incredibly fun. So depending on, you know, spring, obviously being, um, great fall can also be wonderful and we've got great fishing in the winter. If the weather's, you know, okay. But when it comes to spring, you know, people obviously always think of our green Drake hatch, um, which is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely every year, you know, Don't ask me at the end of the season because I'm just like, get these bugs away from me. Yeah. But, you know, the first couple like good swarms of the year, you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is why it's so cool. This is why we, you know, we hype this up. But April is actually one of my favorite times. You know, it's a little less crowded. The fish are like just really figuring out how hungry they are. And we start to get some really great hatches. um, And they, you know, you can find rising fish all day. Um, when well, we've got Hendrickson's, Granham's. Yeah, it can be one of my favorite times.
0: Is that your focus when you're out there, um, you know, taking a client out there is to think like dry flies? Is that always the start or, or are you doing multiple different types of techniques?
1: Uh, no. I mean, so that's the other really cool thing about the diversity of Penn's Creek, um, is that it, it has some of the best dry fly fishing that I've ever experienced, but it's not somewhere that you know, you can really just go prospect with a dry fly and do really well. I mean, not saying that that's not a good or fun technique. And if that's, you know, if I'm going to go fun fishing, sometimes that's all I want to do, but it's not a place like out West where you're going to have really opportunistic fish, uh, keying in on something like that. And, um, so it's really fun to be able to take clients out and, you know, show them how to fish a river like this, utilizing all of these different techniques. Like, you know, we talk about Obviously, um, euro nymphing or tight line nymphing and you know, dry dropper, dry fly only. You know, we 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 essentially will nymph until we find a rising fish.
0: Okay. Um, perfect.
1: yeah. Yeah. Which I think makes the fun or makes the day.
0: Yeah. Really fun.
1: That. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're euro nymphing basically until you find some rising fish. Is that is it euro? Is that is that your focus?
1: Yes. But don't get me wrong. I mean, in April, we've absolutely had days where we've just fished dry flies to rising fish, which is one of the reasons I really like that time of year.
0: Yeah, that's great. So in, in this time of year, does it just kind of get too hot? <clears throat> There's not as many hatches as uh, the, like July, August, September.
1: Yeah. Um, so July, we, we tend to shift a little more into some small mouth stuff. Um, and for better or worse, I've become obsessed with tying just pig bass streamers, which, right. you know, really doesn't, it's not like the bang for your buck, like, <laughs> like tying nips. No. No, uh, but, uh, yeah. And then, so it's Penn's Creek, you know, the past couple of years, we've had some tough summers, right? Uh, Penn's Creek is just, even though it is a spring Creek, it's really long. Um, and your cold water influences kind of get broken up the further down into the, uh, like catch and release section. And so you really have to worry about those temperatures increasing. So we don't, you know, we stay off of it during the summer. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, but we've just had really, really low flows, um, droughts. Yeah. Uh, one hot. we're kind of in right now. Yeah, but um, we actually uh, have a stretch of private water uh, just above the confluence of, you know, where Upper Pens meets with elk and Pine Creek and becomes the, the main section of, you know, the more fly fishing focused section. And fortunately, our, our stretch of Pine Creek has uh, n- numerous groundwater sources so we have a stream monitor out and it's never gotten above like 59 degrees so fortunately we always have some good cold water and like a true spring creek that that we can fish during the summer but our hatches do definitely uh die down quite a bit this time of year so we we like to help people learn other species and yeah
0: Gotcha. Well, I, and I want to talk about some Euro nipping as well, uh, you know, as we go here. But so let's take it to if you're if we're fishing there, you are you know, we're coming in, it's let's just say it's springtime. There's some hatches that start to come off. Talk about that. How would you know something's coming off? How do you know what to put on? Are you kind of IDing, you know, that bug? Because sometimes you'll see a hatch will come off and be like, well, I can't really tell what they're feeding on, right? Are they under the surface? How, how would somebody know if they were in central PA? How would they, you know, how would they know what to use?
1: Yeah. Well, it's Penn's Creek. So it's something different every hour. Um, <laughs> but uh, first of all, call us, right? Like a fly shop's not worth their weight unless they're really going to help you um, know what's happening that specific day, because that's the cool thing about around here is it's different every day. Um, so first of all, call a fly shop, right? Ask questions. If you're not getting the answers that you're looking for, call a different one. But yeah, I mean, so I really like to the bug part is the really fun part to me. You know, we we say in the shop like the fish don't know the scientific names of the, these bugs. So don't worry about that, right? But basic identification is really important because we have so many different species. And sometimes, you know, those fish are going to want a size 18 blue wing olive, even though you see a 14 in the late summer flying around, you know, mm-hmm. like a and So flipping over rocks, um, being able to show people in the water column, you know, which emerging insects you're seeing, um, obviously, you know, any adult, um, being able to identify them and, you know, you're going to, watching how the fish are feeding is something that I really like to help people focus on, right? Like what type of rise did we just see? um can we actively see these fish eating this bug right because it's very often not as clear as it may appear you know so from the the nymph perspective that's a, a you know i'm obviously a believer of you know it's the drift it's the presentation it's the profile it's all of those things Penn's creek pushes that button in a little bit different way than a lot of rivers do but when it comes to any type of you know, a merger eat or surface action, it is very rarely are they going to eat something different than what they're eating in that moment, unless it's a March Brown, because who doesn't want to eat a March yeah. Brown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that rise, you know, that rise form where they're feeding and, you know, where they're moving from to eat, all of those things can tell I you should. a little bit about, yeah. yeah, about what they're feeding on. So just taking a moment and sitting on the bank and watching it, is what I really like to have people understand.
0: Gotcha. So if they were sitting there and you're 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 nymphing, you know, and they start rising, maybe they're maybe it's some smaller fish that are kind of jumping out of the water, right? They're like going for something, and uh, and I don't know if you saw that. If it's smaller fish, do you think like, well, I'm going to switch and throw some dries even though they're smaller fish because there's probably some big fish in there, or or what, what would be your focus there? And can you tell if they're jumping out of the water versus like just dipping their nipping their nose out? what it's doing.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I feel like that comes back to what are the, what are my clients like goals of that day? Right. Um, are we going to target? I love dry fly fishing. And you know, if, if we've got these smaller fish, you know, at the tail out of a riffle or something, just launching themselves out of the water, are they eating crane flies emergers? You know, that's a, those can be really tricky fish to catch actually. And, you know, some people have no desire (laughs) to do that. Uh, but some people really want to work on that. Um, and so I, again, it like really depends on, on what people's goals are, but, um, I usually encourage them to like, let's take a swing at it, you know? And sometimes that means obviously with a nymph, you know, if we're, we're not having success with a, you know, an emerger type or, you know, a dry dropper can be a really, really good way to target those fish as well. So you know, I just want to, like, see what looks like a raindrop under, you know, under some trees. That's when I really don't give people a choice. Those are the fish I want to target. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, raindrop. That means they're – what are they doing when you see the raindrop under the tree type of deal?
1: Oh, they're typically eating adults on the surface, and they tend to be some larger fish.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So that's it. So the so the fish that's just kind of the crazy little fish that's jumping out of the water and, and eating some – there's some caddis or something like that hatching. Those are just, um, I mean, what are they? I mean, they're feeding obviously too, but you can just, you can tell the difference between that and a bigger fish.
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, people will see like a, a big splash right out of the corner of their eye and they'll be like, oh my gosh, that that fish looked huge just because of like the nature of the splash when, you know, in fact, that was maybe like a, you know, eight to 10 inch fish just going a little crazy for, for a caddis or yeah, something like you said. And just having like, you know, okay, but look at this fish in that really tricky spot in the place that I would want to live in this obvious feeding channel, um, that one is going to be a really tricky fish to catch, right? Because you, I feel like so many anglers go, you know, there's so many different types of anglers in that this person wants to catch a lot of fish. This person wants to catch a few big fish. This person wants to catch big fish in this particular way, or this person wants to just catch fish. Doesn't matter how big they are. Just wants to catch them in the dumbest, hardest places. And that is, also probably the type of angler that I am and fortunately we have a lot of opportunity for that on Penn's Creek.
0: Mm. So like you said at the start the the big tip is always yeah call the fly shop find out what's hatching you know and what that you might expect just to know on your box right to make sure you have the flies and then and then when you get out there and you see something going on maybe that fish is you know that raindrop under the tree and, and that there's that big fish you know potentially at say one o'clock or whatever that, you you know, you what you might put on there and then you can give it a shot and then you can go through your box. I mean, when you do that, do you find that you're switching your dry fly? Like you try one, no, it's not working. Switch to another one. Or or you, do you feel like, you know, when you see it, you can throw one on and you're going to get some action.
1: Okay. So you just like know the right questions to ask. (laughs) Like you've done this before. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It totally depends. In that, so if I'm out fun fishing, you know, when you're out every day, you know, and guiding every day, you know what's going on for the most part, right? Yeah. But what that fish is eating can absolutely change within an hour. And so as I'm watching a fish, I'm getting a really good idea of what it's eating. And I am absolutely communicating that to um, my clients because that is a really important thing to understand. But so once you kind of get dialed in to, to what they're eating, One of my biggest pieces of advice to people, and this isn't necessarily just for dry fly fishing, is I just see people cycle through things too quickly, whether that's flies or it's water, right? Mm, There are a lot of fish in Penn's Creek. They're highly pressured. There are a billion bugs under there that you're competing with. So consistency is incredibly important. Every single drift looks different to those fish, whether it's on the surface or below. And they are feeding, they're so habitual, right? Like, let's not. Trout are, you know, we want to call them smart. We want to call them whatever, you know, they're habitual. Yeah. And so being consistent is really important. You know, somebody will put like three drifts over, um, over a rising fish and they'll be like, oh yeah, it's just, it's not going to eat. It's not eating. Let's, you know, move on. It's like, well, your last three drifts, that fish was still swimming back down to the bottom after the last time it ate or it ate just in front of your fly. You know, you have to get on its timing. So don't give up, right? Consistency is really important. Just keep putting consistent drifts over that fish in a way that's safely not going to spook them, whether by lining them or whatever. And another big, sorry not to get all like, you know, into the, but I'm a big believer of don't mend over the fish unless you know you're not going to move that fly. If you have drag, let it drag through that's going to disrupt that fish's feeding behavior more so than mending over them and moving that fly in a way that's incredibly unnatural. Right. So it's just like the consistency and, you know, that may take 10 to 15 drifts, you know, to get that right one on the right timing. So just not moving on too quickly.
0: Right. That's a good tip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Sometimes it's just the way the fish is eating. So stick with it.
0: Yeah. Stick with it. So stick with it. And then, and then, and then you eventually, I mean, you might switch your fly, you know, if you're not really after say a bunch of casts, you're not getting anything or, or do you, you know, I mean, how many just get to that point where if you're struggling, you know, do, do you switch up your fly? Cause that you see these things, you might see a caddish, you might see a mayfly, you, you're, you're still sitting there like, well, what's going on? What do I put on? Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. So after, you know, go with the thing that you think that they're most obviously eating, right. The thing that you can kind of would be your first guess if you can't obviously observe it and make sure I will not change unless I know that I have consistent edible drifts more than one, way more than one over that fish. So I've like, you know, we talk about covering it, right? Have you covered that fish consistently with edible drifts and it's still, or or maybe you see it come up and refuse, change it. You know, it could have refused because of a bad drift. Right. But, but if you, you know, you put some, (laughs) good edible drifts over it and you are getting refusals or is just totally not interested, switch it up. I, (laughs) one of my favorite fish that, and I can't even believe I remember this because I have a terrible memory, but (laughs) it was, I had a random day off and went, you know, we had slate drakes coming off like crazy and you know, you could see what this fish was eating. Uh, And this kind of just goes opposite to everything I just said, but (laughs) That just, you know, that's Penn's Creek. So, you know, this fish was like totally just crushing slate drakes right in front of me in this really tricky little spot. Um, And so I just, you know, have a perfect cut wing and it is in line, you know, taxiing down the runway. And the fish is just every single one, just not letting them go by. Yeah. Just totally eats the one in front of me, (laughs) skips mine and eats the pine needle. Oh, <laughs> floating <Dang>. behind it. <laughs> yeah. Which is infuriating. So I put on a caddis and caught that fish. Oh, you did? Yeah. Don't ask me why, but.
0: What well, what kind of caddis? Like an elk hair?
1: Uh, no, I'm a big fan of just a leggy looking CDC simple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you put on a simple caddis, and not, you didn't even think that's what they're feeding on, but you just threw on a fly, you know, is kind of one in your, your box of tricks.
1: It's just buggy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a buggy. Wow, that's really that's that, when the good reminder, right? That you, you never know, and it's good to have a good diverse mix. But um, yeah, I think we've all had those situations where you're out there fishing, the fish are rising. You know, maybe they're small, whatever. Maybe they're big, but they're just not taking your stuff. And and like you said, they're taking pine needles or <laughs> taking everything. Yeah. But you know, they don't want your fly. So that's a you know that's a big struggle. And uh, it's just like, but I mean, you, you provided a few good you know tips for that. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Jackson Hole Fly Company. They may sound like a new company to you, but they've been designing and manufacturing high-quality gear since 1978. 1978, that was a heck of a long time ago, and there's some history there. thats um, I don't want to age myself, but that wasn't long um, around the time I was born. But in 2020, they launched JH Flyco and started selling gear directly uh, to people all over the country. They have a huge selection of fly rods, reels, lines, all sorts of stuff. You can check them out right now at JH Flyco, and you actually can get uh, 25% off right now on your first order if you go to jhflyco.com swing, and you also get free shipping on orders over $50. We got some good stuff going with uh, Jackson and JH Flyco this year. Uh, We're doing a top fly challenge as we speak. So uh, if you want to head over to that top fly challenge, you can always grab a chance to win some flies and check it out right now. But if you want to support this podcast and support a great fly shop, you can head over to jhflyco.com slash swing. Check it out right now. 25% off. Okay. Back to the show. So I think we could talk definitely, you know, all day about dry flies. I'd love to do that. I, I want to touch on Euro uh, Euro nymphing a little bit because I was out recently. Um, I was with uh, with Jeff from uh, Maverick, and he's got this cool Euro nymphing setup, which is unique. But he was kind of showing me the ropes there. And uh, and Euro nymphing is interesting because, uh, right, you got all sorts of different things. You got this line, which isn't really a line, and and then you you, you know, it's like it's can be challenging. But can you talk about that a little bit when you're Euro nymphing? Um, say out there on, on Penn's Creek or some of those areas? What is your, what's your setup? Let's just start there. What's that look like?
1: Yeah, well, I guess it differs in the moment. And what I fish personally is not necessarily what I guide with. Um, I'm always happy to share that information with people or fish what I do fish with them if those are their goals for the day or if that's specifically something that they want to work on. Um, otherwise, you know, I, am guiding with a, a heavier, more tapered leader. Whereas for myself, I've obviously, I'm sure you've had people on that have talked about the micro leader as much yeah. as I absolutely hate them. I absolutely love them. It's kind of just one of those like necessary evils, but I currently, my setup for guiding is, um, I, I fish the hens leader actually. Um, I just think it's, it's stiff. It turns over well. I found that people can really cast it well.
0: Mm. How do you spell that?
1: Hens, H-E-N-D-S. Okay. Yeah, and I just, um, it actually, I forget what the, I'm sorry that this is the type of thing that I don't remember exactly oh, yeah. how it comes in the package, yeah, but Morris. um, I, I kind of find the heaviest part of that taper um, because I, I, I do think it, I mean, I think you can get them in like 4X. I mean, they're quite long, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll find the heaviest part of that taper, cut it there. That's where I'll put on my cider to a tippet ring. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I, I, I like the material. I think people fish it well. It's just kind of the setup that I've found to be cost-effective. It's really easy to tie one up for someone at the end of the day and works really well in a ton of different situations.
0: And that comes, so the hen's leader comes basically ready to go if you want a 4X leader. It's basically a built um, a leader. Is that, and you, like you said, you just tie it right on to what you have already going?
1: Yeah, well, no, I mean, I... I cut it way back from the four. Um, I bet I get it to about one and I cut it to the heaviest part of the taper because I just find that that's what um, people are able to cast the best. You know, so I'm definitely fishing something heavier with four when I'm guiding. Yeah.
0: What about when you're uh, on your own? I mean, maybe let's We could start. We talk about Team USA, that setup. But um, what if you were just kind of doing your own thing? What what would your setup look like?
1: Uh, Yeah. So that's where I'd be um, most of the time fishing a micro leader. Um, and usually that's something like four or five X I've been experimenting with uh, different materials. You know, everyone has, you've got to find what works for you because what works for you um, may not be what works well for someone else or, you know, the setups they're fishing. I've been really, I mean, I, you know, the rod matters when it comes to your own thing um, especially when you're fishing something like uh, micro leaders. And I've, you know, feel lucky that, we're Thomas and Tom, we're Thomas and Thomas shop. Mm-hmm. We've, you know um, the contact series. And so I'm lucky to fish with some good stuff. Uh, and I, I feel like it, you know, you get to a point where that matters um, quite a bit. And so that coupled with the leader is, you know, one of the most important things uh, in my opinion, when it comes to, to your own thing.
0: Yeah. So the micro leaders are essentially just a, how are they different from just putting on a, you know, like a thin um, whatever, just a long tippet describe the, the, for those that don't know, what is the micro leader?
1: Yeah. So, um, it's essentially just like you would think of like a mono rig or something, but you, it's four or five X, um, three, four, five, depending on, on, you know, what I started out like with three and then to four and then to five, but from a setup perspective, it it can be exactly the same, you know, in, in competition, our leader length, you know, it is regulated. So it's not like, you know, I'll typically guide with, with a longer leader than I, than I fish personally. And so, you know, making sure that that length is something, do you want that? Uh, do you want fly line in your fingers or do you want that leader in your fingers to be able to, you know, for that feeling? And so I, I like, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But the, the micro leader, mm, it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating, but also a wonderful tool
0: right and it's just frustrating just because it's like again the the big frustration with euro is is the casting right that seems like that's the biggest thing for people that you're you know you might not even be casting a line it might be right the mono or depending when you have a new client come in and you're like okay we're gonna be nymphing doing some euro today do you find that's a big struggle or do you or is the setup you have with them something you can actually cast pretty easy
1: yeah so my one of my absolute favorite parts of fly fishing is, you know, people call it an art. Yeah, sure. It's an art. It's beautiful, but it's also just physics, right? Yeah. And is phys- so, something that we all understand or should understand, or it experience it every moment of every day. And so if we think about, um, you know, people get frustrated um, with all sorts of different things with fly fishing, obviously, but breaking it down into physics, I feel like I've had success in just helping people understand it in that way. And it also makes it, you know, like, oh, this is a thing that you can do. It's not you, right? We have to look at, you know, these, how you're moving your body and how you're using your body, and then change that in a way that physically affects the cast. So I, um, to help people, I, I actually find teaching people to cast what I'm guiding with, is actually pretty easy. Uh, I, I think, starting out with more, obviously not a microliter, um, starting out with something Mm -hmm. that's heavier, uh, more of a taper and weight, right? That weight is going to help you learn that cast and the accuracy of that cast so much more. You know, when you're casting, whatever is downstream of you or behind you with your rod tip, your flies, your you know, all of that is a mirror image of what your cast is going to be. So paying attention to where your flies are, make, you know, if there's any slack, slack is going to take that transfer of energy out right it's going to just totally kill your cat so starting out with something heavier that lets you feel where your flies are more it's going to give you more control and just understanding the 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 dynamics of it right that it's not dissimilar from how you you know cast a, a a weight forward floating line but that's not necessarily the best way to start you know water loading Using weight and the water as your friend to learn yeah. the feel of of casting it, and you know, the more and more you do that, then the more you can get into how you would um, cast in a way that's not dissimilar from um, casting a, a uh, fly setup. line, right? Yeah, and yeah. and being able to do that in the wind with a micro leader, um, you know, it's all about utilizing the water.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that is so. And that's a good, there's some good tips. Yeah. I think that is the thing is using the water as the water loading it. And, and are you, when you're out there, are you making at times where you're picking it up and shooting out, you know, just a normal forward cast coming, coming up and shooting it out? Or is it always, um, or, or is the water load usually the better way to do it?
1: So when I'm guiding, yeah, I, I think I, I typically usually always have people Uh, using the downstream water load technique. But um, I like to also show people like, hey, because we're essentially lobbing this in a way, or we're working on a tuck cast or any of that, I like to show them that we can get this cast under trees or into weird spots, right? And we just want to, um, you know, that line's going to follow using the water load technique that, you know, your flies are going to follow your rod tip. So, so long as we keep our rod tip and make sure we load the, you know, and have no slack as we're coming forward with that cast slowly and then accelerating and shortening the trajectory of the cast and accelerating at the right time and keeping that rod tip, you know, below whatever structure we're trying to fish around near or under, you know, you can get everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can. That's that's, that's cool. So, and, and I'll make a note. You mentioned Thomas and Thomas. We had an episode uh, we had with them on. We talked about some of the the Euro niffing rods as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah, and today we're not going to be able to dig in obviously super deep into uh, you know Euro, but I just want to touch on that because it is a yeah, it is a hot topic. Do you find that? You know, at the shop, people come in, in their kind of is Euro, is that always, you know, a kind of a hot topic? Or what, what's it look like when you get somebody new that comes to the shop?
1: Yeah, I am um, absolutely right. It's the thing people are reading about. It's the thing people are having a lot of success with. It's incredibly effective pretty much everywhere. Um, I know it gets a bad rep in certain places, but I am, I want to break that barrier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I, it is such a fun, such a fun way to fish nymphs um and dry dropper. You know, it's um I feel like it's more intuitive and makes you think about it more in a way that I I really enjoy. And Penn's Creek is kind of like the perfect teacher for that, right? We, you know, have tons of enormous rocks and lots of cool structure um and really diverse water. And so yeah, you can come fish a you know floating line with a bobber and do just fine, right? But yeah. that's going to be a lot of mending and a lot of work. Um, and while I like to work hard, I don't feel like working hard in that way leads to catching more fish or better fish. Uh, I think your own nymphing is the way to do that, right? Longer rods, reaching over all those different seams and currents, uh, to slow your flies down as much as you absolutely can, because that's what matters right. um, in the places that you need them to be. And and
0: how do you do that? How do you do that test when you're? Um fishing and you know you say you're trying to hit a spot on the other side of the creek or or somewhere you know and and it's swinging down on you um, how do you how do you slow that fly down
1: Um, well i'm five foot five so i don't have an enormous wingspan either so a longer rod can definitely be incredibly helpful uh, because the more the quicker you get those flies under your rod tip the slower they're going to go So whether it's like inching closer to that area as much as you can, or, um, the nature of your cast, right. Flattening your cast, stopping it earlier, getting those flies, uh, you know, we use the term contact, um, quite a bit, obviously, but getting those flies under that rod tip or, you know, just below and behind that rod tip as quickly as possible is going to lengthen your drift, the lengthen, the portion of your drift where your flies are moving the slowest quicker. Right. Right. Yeah. And accuracy of the cast is incredibly important to that.
0: Right. So, so that's a, so there's a tip there is that if you're trying to hit something on the other side of the Creek or far away, you're, you're not going to have your your flies under your, your rod, but that's what you want because once if they're under your rod, the direct connection down to the bottom. Yeah. I'm trying to think of that. I don't know the physics exactly on the water, but essentially that, that slows down the fly. If it's right below your, your rod tip.
1: Right. It gives you control. And when I say right below, I mean like right below and behind, right? Because you need that, you know, the bit of the lead.
0: But, oh, right. Because you're kind of dragging it, yeah. dragging it through or guiding it.
1: But it, I, I guess a big thing that I didn't say in that is is it, it's, um, you know, managing your line, right? Because if you're fishing really far away from yourself, your drift is um, going to be shorter. So making sure that you are putting the slowest, most accurate part of your drift over where you think that fish is sitting. And that comes down to casting accuracy and line control so that's really important when you're fishing further away from yourself uh, because your drift, um, the best part of your drift is going to be shorter, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a, you know, a lot of line and a lot of slack in a way that's good in order to slow those flies down too, if you're fishing really far away from yourself. So I, I, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about without yeah. seeing it, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I think a, takeaway there and maybe you know there are people that can explain this a hell of a lot better than I can so that there there's obviously probably the the biggest yeah. part but but the important I feel like takeaway from that though is getting on the water and just watching what you personally do with how your body is relating to your drift that slows your flies down the most and then experimenting with that
0: how do you know when your flies are are slowed down right how how would you know if they're going too fast
1: um, so just pay attention to what your leader is doing in contact with the water and how fast it's moving in relation to the water. I definitely want them moving slower, right? Because what's happening on the surface isn't what's happening subsurface from a, like a hydrology perspective, right? Yeah. Like it's, you know, going to be moving quicker on the surface most of the time. And so just, you know, watching, you know, like when you're fishing a bobber, for instance, um, you know, you want it, you know, moving a bit slower than those bubbles. It's not dissimilar, Right. Um, I, a lot of the times don't think I can have a drift moving too slow. That's obviously not stuck on the bottom. Yeah. I don't necessarily want them dragging on the bottom. I want them strategically placed in the water column, but as slow as I can possibly get them.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You don't want them dragging. They're just uh, kind of, uh, well, that, and that's why having multiple flies is cool, right? You have, you're hitting all the different levels of where those fish might be.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. This is, this is awesome. Yeah. Then again, it's like, there's a lot of technical pieces to that. I, I want to touch on the gear real quick, just because I know people are always interested in that. So what is the Let's just go into the rod and a little bit there. So you mentioned Thomas and Thomas, what would be the one, you know, the, the rod that would like weight and length that you would use?
1: Oh my gosh. I, I, we are such gear junkies. <laughs> so I guide with the uh, 11 foot, well, the old contact one and the contact two, I absolutely love the contact two 11 foot, two inch three weight I've noticed a really big difference between the first you know the contact one and the contact two the sensitivity of um of that new series is just really wonderful and I, I like as somebody who's five foot five I like having a little bit of a longer rod in a lot of situations that comes down again to those flies where they are in relation to your rod tip um you can kind of get a little over them a little bit easier um without going swimming um I also really, really love that it's a the ten foot um I think it's nine inch. Why of course this is gonna leave me right now. Yep. Um two weight. And so I, I fish that quite a bit. You know, I, I I like to fish lighter rods just because I feel like it can be so much more fun. But obviously when it comes to urine and thing, that sensitivity is really important, that tippet protection is really important, uh, especially when you're fishing incredibly light tippet, which nobody likes to do, but Sink yep. rate matters. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's, those are. That's it. Yeah. And I, and I really, the contact one is, uh, you know, I've fished that and guided with that for years. And then, you know, started fishing that two weight um, just because that increased sensitivity. Um, but it's not necessarily something that I'd want to guide with on Penn's Creek because oh, I, yeah. fighting fish quickly, getting them in the net quickly is one of the best things we can do for them. But I found that, that the contact two. 11 foot, two inch, three weight is the happy, perfect medium between those two, the other two rods. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: And talk about the line and a little bit there. So you've got your, your backing on there and then what is the line? Is this just like your level line sort of thing? Describe that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, actually I didn't even mention my (laughs) favorite rod. Um, so if I'm going fishing and for fun, for whatever, and I just want to take one rod, it's the the contact again, obviously, but it's the ten foot three weight. That ten foot three weight is obviously not only a wonderful euro nimping rod, it is my absolute favorite little dry fly rod. Oh nice. Yeah. I, I you know, people laugh at me when I say this, but it's just everything, you know, the that you love out of that, you know, the fact that it's a euro rod also transfers really well um to it being a great dry fly rod it's very accurate it's soft mm. it's fun you still get all that tip of protection um i i just find that i can be really deadly accurate with it all right yeah
0: how do you do that when you're well would you do that so i'm just thinking again you've got like a level kind of a euro line or whatever it is there and then you're you know you're using your weight to cast but when you're dry fly you don't have a lot of weight how would you cast that euro setup or are you switching your line up
1: so it depends, right? I, you can absolutely fish a dry, dry dropper with with either the the leader that we were talking about that I guide with, that hen's leader. I find that that um, throws dry flies really well. And that's just, you know, to a Euro line. Um, I fish a lot of the the SA lines. I've been really, really happy with, with what they have out there. And, you know, you can also do that with that micro leader that I was talking about. But like when I'm dry fly fishing, if I'm fishing for fun, I'm fishing a floating line. So I... I'll put that floating line, uh, on, on that 10 foot three weight if I'm fun, dry fly fishing and don't need to do anything in a hurry. But I, I love actually, I, I you know, people are like, Oh, when I'm fishing, I don't want to carry more than one rod because yeah. I'm, you know, and I'm totally yeah. get that. And there really wasn't anything out there that was like a setup that you could change back and forth quickly, you know, cause when people want to dry fly fish, they typically want to fish a floating line and not just, you know have to worry about like a mono rig or anything. So actually SA now has a a really great system where it's like, I forget how many feet it is of just, you know, Euro line, um, which is really important because anytime you get a weighted fly line in those guides, it's gonna, you know, pull those flies back to you when you're nymphing. So I, I, you know, I think that Euro line is incredibly important or having a mono line long enough. That means that that fly line isn't going to get into your guides but they, you know, they have, it's really affordable, but it's like, you know, you can essentially pop on this, you know, 20 feet or whatever it is of Euro line with your Euro leader. And it actually comes with one and it has, comes on a spool. So you can just, you know, carry it in your pack easily. It doesn't Mm. take up a a lot of room and you don't have to like, you know, your, your rods all strung up. So you don't have to worry about changing that. And you just pop that on and off to go back.
0: Right. So it's like a, it's like just, it's essentially like putting a tip on. So you still have your Euro line on there. It's just underneath the actual dry line tip that you threw on there.
1: Yeah. Or vice versa, right? You have your weighted fly line and then you put on that Euro line that goes into oh, your right. row, and then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You put the Euro so, line
0: the other way. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, the other really great option is um, Hardy makes a great uh, cassette reel system that I use for, you know, my lake lines or also my like bass streamer lines and stuff. Um, and so that's another really easy thing that you can have in your pack. Um, so where you only have to carry one rod and can switch those cassettes out really easily, have one with a Euro line on it, you know, one with a floating line, um, and just be able to switch them out really easily and not have to carry more than one rod.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's another good, good uh, possibility. So yeah, an essay has, well, I'll put some links out to those lines. I wonder it's, uh, do you know, do you know that line, that interchangeable thing, what that things called, or if you could probably just search that up.
1: Yeah, I can, I could, I mean, if I had better internet, I could multitask, yeah, yeah. but um, <laughs> rural Pennsylvania.
0: I'll follow up. I'll, we'll put something in there. I'll get that name and throw it in there because I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the rods having this line set up. I think that SA thing would be cool. And so you can kind of easily change it out because yeah, that is the struggle. Casting a, a dry fly with a Euro line is, is tough. Um, you could probably do it with a dry dropper, right? Cause you have a little bit of weight on there. Um, so, so good. Well, we, we've dug into this a little bit. I, I want to touch on, and this is on the Euro line as well, uh, Euro stuff as well, but you're the Team USA. I, I, I definitely want to, don't want to leave that out there because, you know, you're a, you're, I think, I can't remember, maybe this was a few years ago when you first got going or maybe this is recently, but, but talk about that. How how did the Euro or how did the Team USA come to be? Cause that seems like a limited number of people in the world can do that. How'd you come to that opportunity?
1: Uh, yeah. So this is the, the women's team. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I've been uh, lucky enough to work with the youth team um, quite a bit in the past. And so that's how I kind of got introduced to the the competition world. And um, so Fips uh, Moosh, which is the, the governing body of that international competition, they're the ones that finally, um, decades after uh, mm-hmm. or decades later, um decided to, you know, host the first ever women's specific uh, world championship. And so...
0: When was that? What year was that?
1: That was this year.
0: This was the first ever women's?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to be uh, two years ago, but COVID. Um, Oh, wow. So So this is
0: literally the first... ever i mean which is crazy to think right that is unbelievable it's just it seems like again we we were we should be past all that but again challenge is probably uh like the funding right it's like never not you know it's not like you have a bunch of sponsors that are paying for all this stuff right and there's a big money making thing this is a like a grassroots sort of thing right
1: yeah yeah um that's uh that's the tough part um definitely the the financial aspect of it and maybe one day we'll get to you know bass status where we've got sponsors and whatnot, but yeah. um, maybe that's also not a good thing. But I, I actually think it's an opportunity for a really good thing. Yeah. But yeah, so we, um, once they obviously decided to to make that an official sanctioned competition, the uh, it really started through the U.S. Angling Confederation and some people on the youth team um, that were passionate about you know making sure that there was inclusivity um, because I, I'm not one of those. Um, one of the really cool things about fly fishing is that it's not gender specific and it's wonderful to create like space and like safe space and, you know, good learning opportunities for women. And I, I think that was kind of the thought behind creating the women's team, right, is just getting more women involved in competition in a way that, you know, spoke to them specifically. And I I think that it's started to do that, and I hope that it, as it gets, as more people learn about it and hear about it, uh, it will continue to do that. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity to reaching a lot of women that wouldn't necessarily, you know, find themselves into, you know, competition um, without maybe having the the women's team kind of as a vessel to do that. So I think it's a great way to help a lot of women, you know, up their skills and be confident competent anglers, um, in a way that not, you know, that wouldn't maybe happen without the women's team.
0: So, and what are, is it? Eight people or how many women make the, the the team?
1: Yeah. So we have a, um, the national team is a group of 10 and it's not set at 10, right? It's like, you know, you want to make sure you've got a, a lot of, you know, good, talented people to draw from. So I, I don't think, I think in the future, there's potential for um, the national team to be, to be larger than 10, um, would be my hope. But then from that, the world's team is made up of five, uh, competitors with, with a reserve.
0: Okay. So five and, and have you, was there a competition uh, this year or last year?
1: Yeah. So it was in July or yeah. Beginning of July this year, uh, the first ever world championship women's world championship was held in Norway.
0: Wow. And, and how did that not that, but you know, I, I haven't heard, I mean, how, how did that go? What, what was it? Describe that experience. So you you're heading over to Norway. I mean, that's gotta be unbelievable right there, but, but what was that experience like?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I, I'm not one to like paint a false pretty picture, right? Like this is the first ever team and the first ever world championship. And it was really, really, really difficult. In fact, the first, you know, we went over a few weeks early to practice and there was a point where, you know, one of my really close friends and fellow guide, Lindsay, and fellow teammate, Lindsay Zoffrin in Red Lodge, Montana, where we were like, we're never gonna do this again. This is just, there's no no way. And it turned, you know, and just that's personal, you know, that's dynamics, that's all of these things, right, that, you know, fishing with people who've maybe never worked in a team setting and that's really hard um, and not necessarily, you know, knowing how to work together in a way that focuses on that team metal mentality. And I am really happy to say that what, maybe like four days before the competition started, there was a really big shift with quite a few of the women. um, And that includes the, the reserve and the manager and obviously our coach that something that I wasn't expecting to happen was us all to, you know, some of us really pull together and fish as a team, which was the most unbelievable feeling uh, and I know that that attributed, or we can attribute that to a lot of our success. Um, we missed a bronze medal by one placing point, um, wow. which, you know, I'm all, I go into everything of like, you know, I want to win. I want to do really well, even though I know that's a really high expectation yeah, to have, yeah. especially being like this new coming team. when some of these teams have been fishing together for decades, but to come in and to do that well, I don't want to say that I wasn't expecting it, but just with our incredibly limited experience and, and like newcomers to the competition world in general, it was really cool. And I wow. can absolutely say that I want to do it again.
0: Yeah. So that was a good experience. That's really cool. And, uh, and the first year then that's interesting. Yeah. So there's been in other countries, women's teams that they're, they're doing, I mean, they've been competing, um, and it's just new, like the team USA is, is the new to the, to the scene is that kind of situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. And we're new to, I mean, not only is team, you know, the women's team in this country, new to international competition, we're new completely. And then the members of our team, a lot of us are, most of us are really new to competition. So it's been like a a crash course. And so it's really cool to see, you know, like where we are um, and the potential.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Lake Lady Rods. You can reach Lake Lady right now at 218-251-2626. Check in with Chris and see what he has going. That's the best way to let him know that you're interested or at least find out what kind of rods he has for you. Um, I've got a fine-tuned specimen that I'm going to be breaking out here on the river this next week. A blue rod, a gunmetal reel seat, a sweet Portuguese handle, and uh, and it's got all the fixins, all the bells and whistles, uh, including that uh, that nice jungle cock. This is a nine foot four weight, and it just casts like a dream. I am excited to be uh, getting in on this one. Um, and actually, I might let the kids use this rod on this trip, even though they got a couple of fiberglass rods. Which um, maybe we'll switch it up. Maybe I'll let the kids use the the uh, the Chris's Lake Lady rod, and I am going to use the fiberglass. I think we got a uh, let's see. I guess we got the eight footer, seven footer, and eight footer. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to break out the old fiberglass this trip. But if you want to check out what Chris has going, he also works on bamboo rods, builds those from scratch, um, all sorts of good stuff going there. You can check in with him right now at uh, Lake Lady Rods. Uh, And the best thing, like I said earlier, is just give him a call. 218-251-2626. And if you can, this is the way to support this podcast. If you give Chris a call right there and just check in with him, pick his brain a little bit, ask him about rods, See what he has going. Would be awesome if if we can get a bunch of people reaching out to Chris this week after this episode. Okay, back to the show. So going back to the, you know, and and I I want to dig into this just for a sec because people, you know, I'm sure I'd love to hear some, you know, some women, you know, girl, whoever listening out there that maybe this would be a thing for them. So how did you get to be on that team? What was that like? Describe that.
1: Uh, Yeah, so there was um, an application process, but COVID made, you know, everything weird. So when they, a couple of years ago, when, um, you know, it was decided to like try to put this team together, um, a group of people essentially created a steering committee, uh, and this included people with a lot of experience, you know, with the adult team and the youth team. Um, So these are, you know, people that know, know what they're looking for. Um, created essentially a criteria and thus an application um, and kind of narrowed down a team from there um, and then started having some clinics to you know reach out, get more women involved. Um, and that led to a national competition. And from that, this year's team was, um, national team was named with 10 people and then um, five of us and actually two reserves were named to the world's team this year. So um, and that was based off of um, obviously experience, um, you know, competition, nationals, all
0: that good stuff. But and you competed, so that yeah. was part of it. Was the national? You actually had a competition in the U.S. where you everybody competed, and then from that, that that helped guide the uh, the, the finalists or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. Gotcha. Okay. So if somebody wanted to get involved now, they could. Well, they could probably call you, right? Have, you know, or, or you know, check in with you to find out how to get into it. But um, but essentially, that's it. You got to get into these competitions, and then hopefully, yeah, do a good job and, and get your name in there. It's it sounds it sounds like a. I mean, literally, you're talking about five people. I it always blows me away because it seems like almost impossible to do it, right? Like with such a few people, you know, such few people going. But it, would you say it is possible if somebody's really thinks that's what they want to do? They should go for it.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Without a doubt. And I mean, we want to encourage that. We want, um, we need more women um, because the more women we have, the more competitive we are and the more that we're all individually having to work and learn to up our own skills. And I think that obviously that type of competition, even within the country itself just leads to a better team. So I would absolutely encourage people to reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to help in any way possible and you know we have a, a lot of we're really lucky on the east coast to have a lot of you know mini comps smaller competitions that are affordable accessible um, and you're typically fishing with people that um, have fished in lots of world competitions especially here in, in central pennsylvania and i found that atmosphere of those small like regional competitions to be incredibly supportive right and you're just you know learning from the best in a way that is um that I wasn't expecting to be really you know really supported in that way and I know that that that's will be true for for anyone uh any other women that that want to start getting involved yeah so yeah definitely reach out
0: that's awesome that's awesome all right perfect so so we dug into that a little bit I'm feeling good about that and uh, so I want to dig in a little bit into the uh, the the lodge the feathered hook right so you have this thing going talk about that what what's the um this new lodge because that's something in the especially in the lower forty eight you don't find a lot of lodges for some reason right and but this is one well first of all, are there other lodges or is this the only one you could find out in that part of the the country?
1: That's a good question I mean, I w- it would be a bad business partner answer for me to say
0: that I don't know but uh, yeah. so
1: I do I do know a bit but um, yeah there are other lodges in Pennsylvania I think they you know perhaps focus are on different things you know obviously there are quite a, f- a lot of them out west and I would say that our lodge is kind of in that that western style that all-inclusive type of experience um, mm-hmm. which isn't totally normal um, in an area like this and is very different from you know what we offer at the bed and breakfast uh, down the road so um yeah this is our second year it's been a ton of fun a huge learning experience but it's yeah we've got a we got really lucky with a just beautiful space an 1800s farmhouse that we you know spent a winter redoing and you know an unbelievable stretch of 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 pine creek which um you know is a major and really important tributary to Penn's Creek and is one of the reasons Penn's Creek stays really cold. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I always come back to like from the conservation perspective and just having to be like a, a steward of this, of this water, um, is like a, a privilege and, um, like kind of a scary responsibility too. And it's really fun to share, you know, it's such a different water type than, than Penn's Creek, Um, And so being able to, you know, have guests come here and do a day on the private water, which is just like, you know, you're just kind of hiding behind these trees and stuff, targeting these, you know, big rising fish in crystal clear still water. And then, you know, a day on Penn's Creek and then, you know, a day of a smallmouth float. It's just a really amazing thing to have, you know, all of these different types of fisheries in your backyard and to share with people. Um, And they're all like its own you know, a uh, different skill set because I firmly believe to be a, a good angler and absolutely a good competitive angler is you have to be a diverse angler. Um, you can't just be a Euro bro or whatever. You know, I, I hate that. Like, yeah. you know, that's how, you know, don't get me wrong. Of course, your nymphing is, uh, one of the most effective ways to, to catch fish, but yep. that's not going to help you on a lake. Um, yeah. that's not going to help you on, on a spring Creek. Like, like Plain Creek here, and you know we fish water similar to that in Norway, right? So if you're not a diverse angler, you're not going to do well. And that's what I like to to also share with my clients is how to be diverse uh, and to do it all well. Yeah, yeah. And then of yeah, course we have my my mother, who uh, is our lodge manager here, chef extraordinaire, who oh, is cool. much much nicer than I am. Um, <laughs> and people come to the lodge. To- <laughs> Just to see her because uh, she's just that wonderful. So, um, you know, we kind of have it all.
0: Yeah, that is, that's, that's awesome. So basically somebody, you, you could go there, get the whole all-inclusive, um, spend however many days you need to, and then get the experience. I love that you went into the diversity because we kind of touched on that today, right? We talked about Euro we talked about dries, you know, occasionally we don't talk as much about, you know, wet flies, you know, on here, but I guess that's one question. <laughs> do, do you ever, you know, is that something that anybody is, is doing out there at all? Like, uh, any sort of wet fly type fishing?
1: Oh, please. Yes. I call it gentleman's yeah. nymphing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, i every year I always have clients that don't want to nymph. And of course, you know, <laughs> I like to meet people, where they are, right? Like this is their day. I want to help them enjoy it, you know, in the way that they want to enjoy it, but also learn something and kind of push that a little bit. So yeah, I mean, we absolutely swing wet flies and swinging wet flies is a really wonderful way to target those fish that are eating emergers. Um, Ones that we talked about earlier that, you know, can be really tricky to catch. So yeah, I mean, definitely fish wet flies.
0: And with the wet flies, is is there same thing like matching the hatch you kind of figure out what they're on whether that's a caddis or whatever and then throw that on and, and swinging it down like kind of down and across
1: yeah yeah again i I, um, I think it's big on slowing it down right whether you're utilizing weight to do that or your men's to do that uh slowing it down making it natural of course you could just be standing there with a you know having a conversation with you know your,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> like a fly hanging in the water and a fish is going to come up and grab it and it just you know makes you feel like an idiot but I mean, case in point, wet flies are effective, but yeah, fishing it kind of down on the 45, slowing it down. Um, and sometimes giving it a bit of movement. Uh, I like to fish, you know, two, three flies, um, and, you know, have different profiles kind of for each of them. Um, and kind of that lets you control where they are in the water column a bit more too.
0: That's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, uh, I always like to highlight, we've had Davy uh, Davey Watton on a few times talking about wet fly, you know, fishing and He's got his own way to do it. So if, I'll put a link to that one as well. Uh, no, this is good. I think that um, we've got a good taste of, you know, if somebody, you know, we started off like, you know, coming in there, right? So you talked about the different seasons and is the lodge, is that going, is there a time frame where that's not open or what's that look like?
1: No, it's open all year round. And that's another cool thing about, about the stretch of Pine Creek is that, you know, you can fish it 365 days a year. The fish are always cold. So yeah, and the lodge is always warm or cold whichever season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Perfect. All right, well I always love to take it off take it out in a little bit of a random uh, question. So um and you mentioned your dog at the start, so I've got to got to go there. What what's what do you have? What's the name of your dog? It sounds like it's a water dog.
1: Oh man. I so people of course always like, you know, in this industry ask you, "Oh, do you know such and such?" And like for years I always say, you know, Okay, I don't know who anybody is, and nobody knows who I am, which is one, a bad business model that I've been working on. But <laughs> two, everyone knows my dogs. Um, so I, my dog, who I unfortunately lost last year, his name was Poe. He was a Bernese Mountain dog. Everybody knew him because he would carry my net. I mean, like, oh, wow. cool. absolutely no. I mean, it's not a joke. He wouldn't let me get out of the river without grabbing it and, you know, <sighs> carry it all the way back to the car. And so he, he was a really, really special dog, but I am lucky in that I now have a, a Newfoundland. His name is eight, like the number. Um, and he is also an incredibly special, very, very smart, very goofy dog, um, that is turning out to be quite the, the fishing buddy. So
0: is he carrying your net now as well?
1: Uh, no, he's more of like, you know, he, he's quite big obviously. And of course in my boat, he's his thing now is sitting directly next to you, like on the bench seat, which I don't know how he fits. Um, and I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but, um, no, he's kind of, a, he's a good boat dog. So yeah. Yeah. See where he gets with the net.
0: What's your, what boat are you using there?
1: Uh, I have, well, we have a, a couple of rafts, stealth craft rafts. Um, but then, uh, I have a Clacka headhunter skiff.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you use that for, wh- where would you use those boats for? Cause I, I'm, I'm picturing more of a smaller setting on some of the stuff we talked about today.
1: Yeah. So we, uh, we do floats on Penn's Creek, um, when the flows are up never during the chunk of the season, right. Cause this is a wade river. Um, and we would never want to interfere with, uh, with people out there waiting, but sometimes like that March, very early April timeline when flows are, you know, at, you know, 900, a thousand people aren't out there waiting. Um, but we can still have awesome, you know, rising fish. So that's a really good time to jump in one of those rafts and, and do a good float. But then the, the drift boats we have for, um, for our bass floats.
0: Oh, for the bass. Yeah. And the drift yeah. boat just now describe that the difference between, you know, the, the clacka and the, then the raft, why would you go, why would the clacka be better than the raft for say smallmouth?
1: Oh, it's just roomier, um, absolutely roomier. Better fish streamers out of it's kind of the way you stand, you know, how you can manage your line and wind. Nobody wants to row a raft on big water in the wind. Right. Um, that's, yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And what's the big water? What, what are you hitting for smallmouth?
1: Uh, the Juniata. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, the Juniata. That's right. God, this is great. I love, I love the... The podcasting is cool because we've done so many episodes now that there's old ones we did, you know, a few years back where some we talked about some of these rivers. Right. And it's kind of circling back around. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, Pennsylvania is probably, you know what I mean? Like one of the hot spots for sure around the country. Do you find I mean, when you look around, you got to Norway, that must have been amazing, like we said. But do you look around the country and say, hey, I want to go to this spot or have you been you know, do you have thoughts of really having your bucket list for like other fishing areas?
1: Absolutely. I love to travel and I actually spend uh the giant chunk of my summer out in Bozeman. Um I kind of just like to sneak away for a little bit, mm-hmm. do some backcountry stuff. So I uh feel really fortunate to be able to to do that. Um, but I uh I love saltwater. I yeah, you know, where I wanna go is just the place that I can go next. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the list care. is yeah, really long.
0: You're kinda like me. It's like I don't really care where I go. I mean, it's just get me in a plane and uh and just or or a car, right? I played or a car yeah. and just go yeah. to somewhere different and uh and the fishing is almost like I was just out, you know, this week and at a new place and I didn't really care. I mean, I wanted to catch fish obviously, but you know, just being there was like that's that's my goal. Yeah. You know, I knew that was going to be awesome. So not, is that kind of the same way you are?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if it's I don't know, there's just so much to learn about so many fisheries all all over the place. And if it's trout specific, then yeah, I'm there to just be mellow and, uh, you know, enjoy what's around me. But if it's any other species, then I mean, it's a little bit of both.
0: (laughs) That's right. Describe this. So now we're going into... um you know, kind of September, you you know, September, October, what, what are the next kind of the rest of this year looking for you? What's your, you know, anything uh, you want to give a shout out to coming up?
1: Yeah. So we, um, have our fall season coming up and, you know, we're booked, um, you know, October through, through the middle of November, you know, weather depending, it's a really fun time to fish. We've still got some openings. So if you want to experience Penn's Creek, uh, fall can be one of the best times to do that and it's just really beautiful um and the fish are still really hungry um we've got a, a few hatches that happen too so um uh it's a it's a less crowded different time but can be absolutely as rewarding i typically always go somewhere warm you know i mm-hmm. i make a point to to try and fit that in um yeah. you know whether it's for redfish i go down mm-hmm. to the mosquito lagoon a bit and uh, do that I actually always also go down to Texas to go just good old bass fishing oh, yeah. uh, down kind of escapes for uh, the owner of our fly shop escapes for a few months and we all go meet him down there and don't even take fly rods <laughs> so yeah
0: that's cool that's really awesome yeah so and I think I was thinking uh, Molly Simpkins I think may have been the person who uh, first connected me you know uh, <laughs> to you I, I'm not sure you, I'm sure you. it's Molly yeah you, you have a connection with Molly right?
1: Yeah. She's a good friend. Very good friend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so definitely shout out to Molly. She was, we had a fun episode we, we put together, you know, talking about everything she has going with the guide relief program and everything. But, um, yeah, no, this has been fun today. I think that, uh, I mean, I would like to go to Pennsylvania, you know what I mean? That's on my bucket list. I would love to learn more about Euro and, and nymphing and stuff. So So maybe I'll see you there sometime at the shop and check in with you. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll give a shout out. It's uh, thefeatheredhook.com if people want to connect with you.
1: Yes, thefeatheredhook.com. Awesome.
0: All right, Tess, well, thanks again for all the time today and all your tips and and tricks here. I think that you've uh, shed some light on. Definitely, it's helped me um, get prepared, right, for that next dry fly that comes off or whatever. But uh, (laughs) yeah, thanks for all the time today. We'll talk to you soon.
1: No, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun.
0: So there it is, wetflyswing.com slash 364. 364 is going to get you some of the links we talked about, some of the videos we talked about, and anything else we covered, including including that link to the giveaway. We're going to have a link there, and you could also go to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway, and that will redirect you over to the page where you can enter this Steelhead School giveaway, which is going to be a lot of fun. Like I mentioned earlier, Jeff Liske is going to be leading the school. We're going to have uh, some of his other guides on this trip. So it's going to be pretty much, um, you know, if you're looking to up your spay game, maybe whether you even haven't got started with spay, we're going to be digging into this. Um, I'll also put a link um, out to the episode I did with Jeff, where we really dug into everything that this area offers and what the trip's going to look like. So check it out right now, wetflyswing.com giveaway. Okay, we're going to head on out of here today. I hope you are uh, sticking with it, and I hope you're able to plan a couple of good trips, maybe more than a couple of trips, as we're heading into uh, the fall here. We're looking at the fall. We're looking at winter. we got a good winter coming up here. I hope you've got some good stuff planned. And I would love to catch with you maybe on the water somewhere. That would be great. If you've got an idea for a trip you'd love to connect with, send me an email at dave at wetflyswing.com. And, uh, and maybe we put something together for you down the line. If you have an idea for a guest or topic, again, always love to hear from you. Or if you just want to give a uh, shout out and let me know you're here and, uh, and you've been listening out there and you haven't connected with us. Uh, you can also check us out on uh, social media, wetfly swing. Good way to follow the show. All right. I hope you have a good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, wherever you are in the world. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.